Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show with your featured host, Shah McCain, a forensic counselor, psychic, writer, artist, modern day Christian mystic, and UFO experiencer. Shah introduced guests who are experts on all aspects of the paranormal and the sacred. The Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show has been featured on Blog Talk Radio as Staff Pick. And now for your host, Shaw McCain. Well, hello everybody. This is the real Shaw McCain talking to you live from Southern California on this beautiful Christmas day. Yes, in the whole family tradition, we are having a bloody Christmas this year, and we're talking with Jeff Mudgett about his great-great-grandfather. And he, Jeff Mudgett, wrote a book called Bloodstains, a startling tale of one man's search for the truth after inheriting the personal diaries belonging to his great-great-grandfather, who discovered was America's first and most notorious serial killer, Herman Webster Mudgett. Better known in his alias H.H. Holmes, Mudgett was the mass murderer who struck terror into the nation by being the proprietor of the infamous murder castle and stalking the streets of Chicago during the 1893 World's Fair. During his incarceration, a rating electrocution, execution, I'm sorry, well over a century ago, Holmes admitted killing 27 innocent victims, but the evidence shows that it's probably hundreds more likely. And from this investigation, Jeff Mudgett, the direct descendant, learns that Holmes' reign of terror was worldwide, not limited to Chicago, and has been so widely believed. Uh, based on the never-before-revealed historical fact, Jeff pieces together a dynamic and extraordinary puzzle, including the strong possibility that Holmes is also Jack the River. And I'd like to welcome Jeff Mudgett live to the paranormal the sacred. Hi, Jeff. Hello. Uh oh. Hi, Jeff. Now, we were just talking so quietly and nicely. Hello, Jeff, to the mirror on the paranormal and the sacred. Are you there tonight? Char, I have you loud and clear. Yay. Okay, because once in a while, I think uh, the powers that be try to put a glitch in this thing. You know what I mean? Well, we're talking about a subject which might force them to do that once in a while. But I want to tell you, Merry Christmas. Thanks for having me on. I want to wish Merry Christmas to all your listeners and all my followers who decided to uh, listen in tonight with us about uh, a subject which which I think is about the truth. And Christmas Day is about the truth, if you ask me. So uh, I think we're on the That's right it. subject. So uh, I'm looking forward to a great show with you tonight. That's it. Um, you know, I was wondering, when did you first, because I read your book and I loved your book, and I actually got two, two copies of it just to be sure in case I lost one, but when did you first hear about your relative being H.H. H. Holmes? It was when I was 40 years old. My grandfather finally came clean with the family about a secret he'd been keeping from all of us, including my grandmother who, to tell you the truth, Char wouldn't have married him had she known. That was the way things were back then. But he finally had had enough. He's, he uh, sat down at the dinner table with us all and explained how his grandfather, 
was perhaps the most evil man in American history and somebody that we all deserve to know about. Wow. Well, what was everybody's reaction? Oh, you know, the usual stuff. Uh, There was um, some doubt, some skepticism, some past the uh, peach pie. But me being the criminal defense lawyer, California criminal defense lawyer that I was, you can imagine the interest, the antenna raised up on my head. And uh, I wanted to know more. Um, I went back uh, to my office. I set aside the things that I had. You know, I got I got the things that I needed done, done. And then I started doing some research about this man, this horrible killer, uh, this genius, really, an evil genius who'd gone to the University of Michigan and got his M.D. and then formed, created a hotel in Chicago in preparation for the World's Fair, which was later called the Murder Castle, if you can imagine that. Well, you know, this, you know, I, I, when I think about him and what he did, and this, he had accomplishments that could have been good, but he had so much energy, not even in all the plots and the killing and the uh, wrangling money to get his, his murder castle built. But that takes an extraordinary amount of energy. I don't, I don't really know where he got that from. Like, what what is it? You know, I think you're hitting it on the head, on the nail on the mm-hmm. head, because he could have been whatever he wanted to be. Um, he was that type of intellect. But instead of taking that MD he'd gotten from one of the great universities of America, and and using it to be a Louis Pasteur or you know solving. You know, some of the diseases at the time, maybe the plague, the pandemics they were having, um, he went the wrong way. And instead of looking at him as some, you know, fiction novel killer, like some of the uh, storytellers have tried to do, I wanted I wanted society to look at him as why would a man with that intellect, why would a man with that energy, why would a man who would have stayed in school and gotten all those degrees, why would he be wanted to do this? Because if we find that out, answer that question, Char, we may be able to prevent it happening again. Yes. Um, I Okay, I am a forensic counselor. I just uh, retired just a year ago, but... Uh, specifically for 15 years I've been working with federal prisoners and um, in 15 years you see every kind of person with every explanation for every bad thing that people do and there's one I had uh, I have learned a lot about people just doing that because almost all of my clients were men so it's me facing every federal prisoner in Southern California, you know, came across my desk. And I learned a lot about human nature, you know, and I'm a counselor, so I already knew that side of it. But there was other things happening that I had one client. First of all, I got a warning, I know from from my higher power, that said, the devil's coming to see you. I'm like, what? You know, I'm sitting at my desk like, what? What? Yeah, it said, be ready. So I got the call. And it was from him. And, uh, no, I called him because he missed his appointment. 
I didn't know he was the devil yet until I talked to him. So I called him. I said, where are you? You missed your appointment. You can't miss an appointment because that means you're escapee. You know, it's it's a dr- pretty drastic situation. They get out of prison, go to a half a house. But if you're missing, you're actually escaped. So you've got another ch- charge on you, you know. So I asked him, where, where are you? Why aren't you at your appointment? He said this to me. I don't know. I'm just a poor prisoner. And I knew everything about him just from him saying that to me. And I knew that he was highly intelligent and he was rich and uh, he was uh, learned, you know. And sure enough, he had his master's and his father was a doctor and a psychiatrist. So he had this creepy son who came in and he looked like a weasel. I didn't know the devil looked like a weasel, but he did. And uh, he was everything foul. And I, I beat him immersively for six months. He was trying to get out of get away from me. So he called the head of all the prisoners, uh, one of the big cheese that, that you know, run the federal prisons. He tried to get out of it, and he said, they said, no, she finally caught you, didn't you? And what happened was, is he had his own room in prison, in his own quiet visiting room, and he did the same thing when he got to the halfway house. They bought him his own special refrigerator. You know what I mean? But I knew how bad he was, so he couldn't fool me. I don't know what they were looking at. But they loved him, and the people threw money at this guy. It was very diabolical. You know, I'm glad we're talking about this because I've long had theories about my ancestor that, you know, that, that they like to throw around uh, uh, descriptions now of these serial killers. And quite frankly, I think, Char, you, you would be the first to recognize this straight off the bat. He's not a Ted Bundy. He's not a uh, the fella from Chicago, the Gacy He's not a Zodiac killer. This is a man who was completely sane. Uh, he yes. was not psychopathic. He was not crazy. He was an evil man who made choices. And I love that we're talking about something like that right now because I think we need to get off that thing we're on now where someone that kills or decides to take that evil path has to be crazy instead of just have chosen that direction. And mm-hmm. uh, quite frankly, I don't, I don't get much help with that, you know, theory of mine and, and maybe um, having society look at, we've got it wrong. We've had it wrong for a long time about some of these guys. Yeah, because uh, uh, I know that um, the quote from your, Great grandfather says the devil made me do it, but he has I don't I can't say the phrase, but he says uh, the devil has been there since he was born and all that. But uh, the thing is that they want to do it; it's their choice. They have chosen a thing and they want to do it. It's bad. Yeah, and that like, was in the uh, book. He that was in the book he was paid to write by Hearst Corporation. While yes. he was in prison. That's right. And uh, That's when right. people, well, I always warn people when they read H.H. H. Holmes' writings, he was a pathological liar. And almost every sentence he wrote on paper contains a lie in it. So, you know, that's why your description of our show tonight when you said he he admitted to 27 but murders, but that is highly unlikely. You're exactly correct. Yeah. Well, you can't believe a word they says, you know, and that's why how I dealt with this diabolical person 
that I'm talking about because very brilliant. He actually, let me tell you how far this guy went. He actually had earplugs in his ears. He had voice modulation going, and he was doing something else. And I looked at him. I said, do you have earplugs in your ear? He went, well, yes, I'm sensitive. sound. I said, take them out of your ears right now and put all your stuff under your under your chair. And it was just, <laughs> it started immediately. And then when he was getting ready to leave my office, I, I shook, I, he was shaking so much because I said, and that voice you're using right now, don't use it when you come back because I know you're modulating your voice. To, he, he was so genius. He never spoke with his own voice. He, he lowered his tone so you would have to force you to lower your tone. He was very good about it, about doing this to people. But I'm telling you, I, you, know, you can't let them get away with an inch because they'll take a mile. Well, this fellow you're talking about sounds a lot like Holmes. Holmes was a chess That's player. That's what I'm saying. And he exactly. was three moves ahead of the police all the time. And, you know, during his trial, he was three moves ahead of the judge, the witnesses, the, the lawyers working for him, against him. And when they thought they had him figured out, they weren't even close. No. I mean, the thing is, is this is the only way I could deal with it is by being very honest with myself. You know what I mean? So when I, I could yeah. not uh, fake anything or any of the, because people that are, that are watching you. Okay. Another thing I noticed that when he was listening to people in the group, he didn't, he was actually just picking their brains. He could care less what, about anything, about anybody. And I nailed him on that. I said, do you really care about anybody? And are you just pick their brains? What are you doing? He said, I'm picking their brains. You know, he couldn't help but tell me the truth because he was uh, startled by me because he didn't know how I figured it out, you know. But you have to have to little – I have like a little knack, I think. You know what I mean? Yeah. Since I teased on the inquirer when I was willing. <laughs> I yes, yes. <laughs> so I, so I, I have like a sort of a – I don't know. I don't know if it's a people watcher. It's it's uh, I think in your profession you have to be the same way you have to be able to uh, judge people just by watching them not necessarily what they look like but their behaviors. Well, and that's I think people thought they could get away with doing that with someone like Holmes, and that was the mistakes they made. I mean, that's, that's one it. of the reasons I had a difficulty uh, char when I wrote my book Bloodstains you know, describing what it was to be characterized at, because I knew much of the material in the book was based on statements Holmes had made, but I knew he was the liar that I had just described. Mm -hmm. And to call it nonfiction when I knew every sentence had a lie in it was difficult for me, you know, having practiced law and contract law in California. So what I basically did was I called it fiction based on a true story. And then I warned all of my readers, hey, when you pick this up, know that I don't know where each of those statements he's made is going. No one did then. No one does now. Even the ones that say they know what Holmes was, how many he killed, why he wrote, built the murder castle for the World's Fair, why, what happened to the two little girls in Canada, the little boy in Indiana, all those things about his time in London, you know, Whitechapel uh, during uh, Jack the Ripper. 
But uh, so basically what I did was I, I gave everyone a warning sign saying, listen, um, do the best you can with this like I did. But this man was he played a game and that lying thing mm-hmm. was his life. And I think, Char, the, the interviews you've done with criminals, it sounds like mm-hmm. you've come to realize that they're not telling you the truth at all. Mm-hmm. Well, I would tell them the, the way I tried to broach this is that uh, if you lie, I can't help you because I already took it for granted that you're lying. You know what I mean? So try, try, (laughs) (laughs) try. I would tell them and it would make them laugh. It kind of took them off. Even just to see me, they go into shock. You know what I mean? So what is this redhead lady doing out here in Inglewood? Because I was right, you know, in the hood. But uh, I was where I was supposed to be and where I was needed but I had to tell them, if you lie, I can't help you, meaning there's so many ways to fail in the federal system. There's so many ways to go back to prison. You, It's unbelievable. you know. And if you lie, I can't cut you off and say you're in the wrong, you're going the wrong way, turn back. You know what I mean? You're going back to prison, you keep it up, you know. And if they – so I'll tell them, and the ones that keep lying, like one – he lied really good, and he seemed very innocent, but I said, you know what? That doesn't sound like the truth to me. It doesn't match up. Like, I can I can hear him so far, and then all of a sudden I hear, like, a little warning signal. Like, half this sentence is now a lie. It started out the truth, but you're lying now. Anyway, he went back to prison. He went back to prison. He doesn't think – they yeah. think they're too smart. You know, they're too smart, and they can't – I don't know. It's just the – you know, it's just – what what happened to uh, your relative is he uh, to me he was doing what he wanted to do, and I think he was addicted to uh, it's like we would say sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Well, you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I've tried to explain to people that this was the real life Doctor Frankenstein, and that uh, yeah, sixty third and Wallace, you know, in in the hood in Chicago. Uh, the murder castle was his factory for death and torture. And that basement was where he conducted his experiments. And I've tried to convince people that that Dr. Frankenstein thing that we all know about, we all saw the movies, the books, the stories when we were kids and growing up, that was here in the United States of America, right there in Chicago. And um, it hasn't taken on that um, uh, that that me trying to to push that that idea about him. But uh, um, there's some things happening this year. Uh, some Hollywood. Uh, there's a couple of movies being made. There's some animated uh, stories being uh, created. Um, there's a lot of things about Holmes finally coming to fruition and uh hopefully i've still got my fingers crossed about uh leonardo dicaprio and martin scorsese yeah finishing their movie the devil in the white city because we all know martin scorsese and dicaprio uh starring as holmes would be an incredible movie that'd be great uh, one that i'd i'd be excited to watch um, and see how they portray such an evil character in the America, you know, that we all know and love and, and to see that he got away with this stuff. And then if I can convince them, Char, that my theory is true, that he wasn't executed, he wasn't buried, he went on to live many years after that, 
um, who knows where the story could go. Well, you know, we all watched uh, that show uh, that um, was the American Ripper. Was that American was that the Ripper? Show? A great title, isn't it? It was. It was great. And then they showed the part. Okay, so that's that's the show that you were in. Am I correct? And the we showed the digging up of the grave and the whole thing. And uh, then they they had a little. It was just so odd the way it ended about the DNA analysis and all that. And and uh, so what did you think? So it was actually. Uh, you tell us about the DNA results. Excuse me. I tell you what, I thought the first seven episodes of American Ripper were some of the best television I'd ever seen, and I was proud to be a part of my co-host Amaryllis, uh, CIA uh, uh, agent, was uh, just special on the show. Uh, the director was awesome. Um, the film crews, they were all they were all fantastic. The recreations they pulled off over in London with Holmes in the Whitechapel area actually being the Ripper were, I thought, some great, great television. But the, the conclusion was uh, disappointing. And uh, well, I think what happened basically, Char, was the show had caught up with itself, was running out of time, and needed to end that final episode and the evidence about what we were finding uh, in that grave. Uh, hadn't caught up. The science hadn't caught up with the television production yet. So um, there was a there was a mismatch there. It wasn't uh, in conjunction to where, unfortunately, we had DNA that wasn't a match. My father and I had our DNA tested, and then we ran it and now analyzed it and compared it uh, with the DNA extracted from the grave with some of the finest laboratory DNA laboratories in the world. It didn't match. Um, we had the skeleton taken out of the grave. Um, it was taken to the University of Pennsylvania, their anthropological labs, and the scientists there compared that skeleton laid out with what Holmes was supposed to be while living, as recorded by the Boston police, as recorded by the uh, Moyamensing prison superintendents, all their doctors, and it didn't match. Uh, then we they had the, the dental records, which were falsified. So and finally the neck uh, char, the one the one that I could never convince the television executives was so critical. The one that I would have had I taken it to court, had I gone to criminal, had, had I been the criminal defense lawyer that I'd always wanted to be, and I had that piece of evidence in my hand to walk in front of the jury, to be able to show them that neck vertebra without any damage to it. When every journalist in America wrote stories about how he was dropped through a scaffolding and hung by his neck until dead by a rope, and every expert that I questioned told me the neck would have been damaged, the vertebra would have been separated, and the little bones on each side of your vertebra would have all been shattered. And well, so it was course. disappointing That's for me that last them. edition, oh. that last episode. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Well, no, you know, you, you, know, you go, go ahead because uh, you were there, and you must have had a lot of emotions standing there at the grave. But then to find out that you're not related to somebody in that grave, there is something, a mystery here. 
Well, to tell you the truth, um, Shar, I'd known, I'd known from the material that my research that something hadn't added up, that things had happened afterwards. They called it the Holmes curse, all right? And it was actually written about in The Devil in the White City, the best-selling New York Times bestseller that uh, Scorsese and DiCaprio bought. And the Holmes curse was all about anyone, Char, that had irritated him in his arrest, his incarceration, his trial, or his uh, uh, awaiting execution in prison had either died or suffered terrible misfortune afterwards. And I knew that wasn't the number of those. There were something like 31 of them. It wasn't a coincidence. That was Holmes going back to visit those people. I had the feeling. So my research went that way, and I didn't have any evidence to prove that. I didn't have any evidence to prove that. So when we were doing the show, I talked history. I talked History Channel into helping me get the court order to exhume the grave. We got the scientists at the University of Pennsylvania, some of the finest scientists I've ever met in my life, to help us with the exhumation. We went down into the grave. I don't know if you remember, but the first, there were two graves. The first yeah, we I dug remember. down the eight feet, the eight feet, and we found an empty coffin, which you can imagine what happened at the at the scene that day on the set with the cameras going, the directors yelling. Uh, Amaryllis and I are amazed. We have no idea what's going on. The scientists are scratching their heads, but there's an empty pine box. And oh, macro. So we're wow. all figuring out, trying to figure out what to do. And Amaryllis, being the brilliant CIA agent that she was, she said, let's take the other grave and dig down deeper than we should go. So we did. And then we found the. Well, she jumped down in there. She, she jumped oh, down in there. You, you want to hear a great. Your, your listeners are going to love go this. You're, oh, you're right. You're right. And you know what? Amarillo's is still one of my best friends in, in the world. But um, She's great. Uh, the, the director says, mudge it, mudge it, mudge it. You know, and there's cameras going all over. And then we got journalists spying on us. And we got helicopters going over the top of us. And he goes, mudge it, mudge it. Jump down in that grave. I got to tell you, Char, you have not <laughs> smelled anything as horrible oh. as that grave was. It was gross, terrible oh smell. Oh, my God. And, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm not jumping down in there. You've got scientists and engineers here. Have them dig it up. And Amarillo's goes, I'll go. And she jumps right down into the grave. <laughs> she's digging away. So she, she's tough as bone, tough as nails. And um, so we keep digging, and we find the concrete sarcophagus, the block of concrete that the journalists had talked about in every newspaper in America when the burial had taken place, okay? Mm-hmm. And they get the engineers there, and they're breaking up the concrete. And I don't know if you remember, but we see that picture of that skull look up at us with the hat still on, with, yes. the, with the jacket still on, his his, his little uh, bow tie going on, his teeth still there. And holy mackerel, it was one of the most terrifying, eerie moments of my life. Was the mustache still there? Yeah, we still had mustache hair, which the scientists immediately grabbed because they were taking that for DNA. And uh, that's the first thing they grabbed. Um, And then we we kept breaking the concrete back because we couldn't lift it up. It was too heavy. And we would have had to have had uh, huge fork cranes there and everything. And and history was getting upset about the budget. It was we were way over budget. We were way late on filming the episode. Um, we needed the DNA test back, 
and like I told you at the beginning of our interview that we were, it mm-hmm. wasn't matching up the production and the science. So we were breaking it down right there. And we came, we came to the conclusion that he still had his jacket and shirt on, but the pants were gone. He still had his boots on, but no pants. And we, we assumed that something must've happened when they hung him by the neck or whatever was there was hung by the neck and then he had had an, uh, an accident uh, with his bowels. And um, they had removed the pants for some reason. Why, I don't know. But um, we collected everything mm. we needed. They took all the bones back to the lab at the University of Pennsylvania, which is an incredible laboratory for anthropology. And they started doing all their tests. And they worked all summer long over whether or not this was Holmes or not while the TV crews were waiting for answers so they could finish up the show. So they just sort of speeded up and uh, you didn't get the right answer on that show. I mean, that show could have gone double as far as I was concerned because I, I was hanging on it. You, you guys had such a great presentation and a presence during that show. And there's something else that there was a couple of things that were going on uh, inside when you you had the skull in your hands, right? Well, I wasn't supposed to. I got in a lot of trouble over that, but that was just me being me, maybe a little bit of my ancestor inside me. But uh, <laughs> you know, he was laying out on the gurney in the laboratory at the UPenn, and the the bones were cleaned off. It was meticulous, just meticulous. Um, I walked into the laboratory, Char, and I immediately knew this wasn't him. This wasn't him. It mm-hmm. was way too short, too short. It wasn't a five foot nine inch man, and it looked more like uh, an orangutan. It was strange. Um, Amaryllis nice. came in, and she had the same reaction. She had the same reaction. So while they were all out arguing outside, I snuck back into the laboratory. And I'd had this idea, I'd had this idea, Char, about when I was writing the book, and if we ever did get to exhume him or not, yeah. that I wanted to do that scene from Hamlet. Do you remember Hamlet where he holds? Oh, alas, poor go, Yorick. Go ahead, go, go, go ahead. Well, that's it. No, you do it. Alas, poor Yorick. Alas, poor Yorick. That scene from Hamlet where he yeah. asked him. Why, why, why? And stares into those eye sockets, right? Yes. Well, I I snuck back in and I grabbed the skull and I put it into my face and I was talking to him, thinking, you know, I was at at that point of the game, Char, I was, we hadn't got any DNA back. We hadn't got the skeleton uh, measurements. We hadn't got uh, that the dental records were falsified. We hadn't, they hadn't made their conclusions about the neck vertebra yet. So I was still at that point thinking this was probably him that, you know, all these theories I'd had were, were probably wrong. And at some point I was going to have to stand on television and admit to the country that I'd been wrong, you know, that type of thing. So I went down, grabbed the skull and talked to him and they, they came back in the room. You should have heard the screaming and yelling (laughs) and how I had ruined the DNA tests forever in comparisons. And Oh my God, it was like I was going to prison. And so I put it back down. They, they cleaned it mm-hmm. up. Um, then we had uh, King's College come on from, from England, who's the DNA expert in the world. 
And they, they said, don't worry, his hand's not a problem. We'll clean off the back of the skull. And then they had these diamond drill bits, which they drilled into the back of the skull, where there's a pocket of bone in the back of each of our skulls. Uh, where the brain sits on and it's a, like a soft powdery bone which is perfect for dna and they had the scientists drill in i can still remember them doing this mm-hmm. they had them drill into that pocket they took the powder sealed it up in these incredible packages to mail two three four of them so that if they got one wrong or i had contaminated one with my hand it, they had the others to do and then they mailed them off to uh, london and we all waited for the results and the results are? They didn't match. Oh, boy. I know. That's amazing. Yeah, but you knew it already. You already had you, – you knew it before they opened the grave. Even. Well, I had a theory about it. I But, you know, having practiced law, Char, I knew that these theories that – you know, you, we watch cable television now. We watch Ghost Hunters. We watch Ghost Adventurers. We watch all those shows. I know all those guys. I go to all the – the paranormal conventions with them Mm. and you know their shows are great they're entertaining but they don't prove anything and i'd known that these theories of mine about him being jack the ripper about him him never having been executed were nothing that i could just stand up on tv and say oh he that wasn't him that wasn't him Uh, he was in london he was jack the ripper now i needed more than that 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 wasn't gonna work and so that's why we always from the start Always, we always wanted to uh, buttress all our theories with real evidence that would be admissible in a court of law. Okay, and yeah. and history agreed with me on that. And and they paid a lot of money to get all that stuff that way, instead of me just standing up in front of a camera like they usually do on their shows, like Oak Island and things. So. Um, um, we all we all were waiting for the results, um, but then that, like I said, at the end, the, the patients started wearing thin. I think a lot of people had already mm-hmm. made up their mind that this was Holmes. That how could he have escaped execution when he was tried for murder, found guilty, taken off to Moyamensing Prison, and then executed before all the journalists and every newspaper in America wheeled off the Holy Cross Cemetery and buried, right? For him to have pulled it off, Shar, we're talking about the greatest criminal conspiracy in the history of mankind. I mean, yes, but I be believe incredible. that he did get away with it. I oh, believe no he did get he away did. with it, that your theory is correct. And first of all, I could just see him, uh, you know, uh, writing that book and working them the whole time. You know what I mean? Getting special favors, getting a, oh, yeah. getting more to eat. You know what I mean? Getting better bed uh, things, for, uh, bedding. Because usually you're just stuck on a, you know, you're just on a platform with some hay on it. You know what I mean? I'm sure he got the best of uh, rooms. You know, he was doing this oh, by yeah. writing, and he was working them the whole time, and I'm sure he worked his way right out of there. Well, and you were there. I don't know if uh, history allowed us to uh, portray this on the on the screen or not. I don't remember. But he got Hearst Corporation to pay him seventy five hundred dollars in eighteen ninety three for that book. Think about that. Yeah, then he got my great great grandmother Clarice to visit him three times while he was in prison. Okay, 
and she made three trips back to Chicago, then back to see him again three times, okay? You know what that was for, don't you? That was for his funds. That was for banking. I was just thinking, and, okay, I, you know, that is what I was just going to ask you. I don't know if we've got an ESP thing going on, but what kind of women did <laughs> Holmes marry? Clara. Oh, the man, talk the about man. Clara. Clara, yeah, Clara. The, the man yeah, was Clara. magical with women. I, I don't think he ever raped. He never had to uh, abuse women. There was a, there was a journalist who wrote about um, when the jury came back into the courtroom, Char. Um, uh, there were six women behind him in the stands that were, had been associated with him earlier in his life. When the jury – when the judge asked them had they reached the verdict, and they said yes, guilty, um, the judge sentenced him to death, they stood, and this journalist wrote about them crocodile tearing down their cheeks as they led uh, Holmes off the guards um, you know, to be incarcerated and executed. Um, he had a way with women. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, he had that. He had a charisma, or and plus he he didn't look – Looked crazy or like a mass murderer or ugly. He was he was good looking. He had manners. He dressed well. And we're talking about a time of innocence too, where people were very much uh, modest. And uh, you know, they, it would take some kind of charm to get those people out of their clothes. Well, and back then, a doctor was incredibly special. I would imagine much mm-hmm. more so than today. And uh, it was almost – they were almost godlike, I would imagine. And um, when you know a woman would have um, issues with her body and she would go see the local doctor, um, someone you know, like Holmes possibly, and he helped them <laughs> for a while, and mm-hmm. uh, they probably would grow attached to that assistance in ways that's hard to uh, describe. Yes, I think that, uh, you know, a doctor, kind of like where they are now, is kind of like a god. So, uh, you know, people are now taking a lot of their uh, uh, care into their own hands. You know, it's it's a little different. But back then, you know, to actually kiss somebody on the hand was being forward. I mean, it's really uh, – uh, a whole time of decency and respect and morals and, you know, all this other stuff going on. So the great, great, great story was about Holmes, and uh, it was quite shocking, but I bet it was on every newspaper. So uh, at this point of the game, Char, what uh, do you remember uh, from your studies in history and, and forensics, mm-hmm. do you remember the Scopes monkey trial? Yes. Where, yeah, see, now if I had been directing American Ripper and I had had control of the final, I would have set it up to where we had done some type of Scopes monkey trial where Amaryllis would have been representing the prosecution, I would have been representing the defense, and then all the scientists from the UPenn, from King's College, the dental technicians from the UPenn that did the dental comparisons and analysis the uh, uh, the DNA studies, the uh, reports, the, the final testings, each of those people would have been questioned as if on a witness stand. 
in front of a jury and the viewers back home so that each of us could have made our own decision about if you were a jury in a modern murder trial and Jeff had been presenting this evidence to you about the DNA not matching, about the skeleton being far, far mismatched, about mm-hmm. the dental records being falsified. They had been taken from a corpse, not a living man, as had been assumed by the University of Pennsylvania, and how the vertic- the neck vertebra wasn't damaged in the least. There was no sign of trauma, as one would expect from a hanging. Would you, as a jur- member of the jury, be willing to state guilty that that was Holmes in that grave? And, and you know what, Char? If we had been able to conduct that final episode like that, I don't think there's any question what would have happened. I think American Ripper would have gone on to find out what happened at that execution, what happened afterwards when he visited each of those people, the Holmes curse. And I think it would have been one of the great stories that history would have ever owned. I think it still is. I mean, nobody is letting go of either one of these stories, you know, uh, either Jack the Ripper or H.H. H. Holmes, it's, it's just not going away because it's it's not solved. It's one of the unsolved hanging in the air, both of them. You know, he's, um, okay, so there was something in the grave that you found, and it was a silver cross. And tell, tell our listeners about that silver cross. I found that very ironic and maybe a joke. Because maybe your ancestor thought it was funny. It wasn't silver. It was pewter. Okay. But it was a beautiful pewter cross, which was on top of the concrete sarcophagus. And it was a cross of H.H. Holmes going to his maker, all right? Now, why would a man, if that was him in that grave, Herman Webster Mudgett, who had converted who had confessed his sins before the execution, supposedly, who had been baptized before the execution and burial, and then to place a pewter cross with his criminal alias on it, still haven't come to, other than what you just said, that it was an yeah. eerie, evil joke. I He's think still it was an evil about. joke. Yeah. Well, I still haven't come up anyone up with any reasonable explanation. Well, what happened to that cross? If you don't mind me asking. Uh, the UPenn has it in their museum. I okay. told them to keep it. Yeah. Yeah, because I really we, uh, don't know the where the UPenn you... has an incredible <laughs> museum in anthropology. It's incredible. Wow. It's, uh, they've got things from the uh, the the pyramids. They've got things from all over. Uh, Masada, all those things, and uh, they were very fascinated with that cross, as they should have been. And I told oh, yeah. them keep it, because one day you're going to come I'm... up with a solution to what this actually means, and I want you to do it. And so they, and I asked my family, my family all agreed, so they kept. I think that was a good idea, because we're not going to be around forever. You know what I mean? And then no. somebody's going to no. come up with something, and there might be something even after we're gone, and. Uh, you know, this is, uh, uh, for me, unending curiosity. I've never uh, – he was one of the extremes of human nature. You know, you get your good, you get your bad, and everybody, <laughs> we're all on that. We're all on that schematic, you know, how you have the, the, bell, the bell curve, and we're all kind oh, of yeah. in the middle. Well, I don't know if he's way to the left or way to the right, but he's way out. As far as, you know, because we could get madder than hell. We could throw something against the wall. 
but was he was doing is that I I feel like that you never quite can stop a person from from doing that, or you can't outthink them, you know. And if you don't kill them, they're going to keep on doing it. So I don't know if he kept on under another disguise for all we know, or his wife helped him get out. And where do you think he was really buried? Because he had um, to die sometime. My father, my grandfather, and um, my great uncle um, sent me a picture of them at a uh, grave in um, outside of San Diego, East San Diego. And there's a headstone that says uh, HHH, and they're both standing at it. It's black and white. It was in the 1950s. They never explained to me what it meant. They just sent me the picture, and then, of course, they're both dead now. But uh, I don't know. It's awful. It's awful. (laughs) It's so strange. It's more than coincidence. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's it's strange. My family doesn't. After seeing the conclusion to American Ripper, my family doesn't want to have anything to do with history anymore. Um, they were they were very disappointed. Um, yeah. My especially my father. He does. He's very disappointed. And uh, I couldn't get them to allow history to exhume that grave and do another DNA testing in a million years. So um, I've pretty much given up on that, but maybe one day someone else, if they do the right thing can convince some people that that could be, that could be, we could actually um, come to a close on the whole thing. But I got to tell you the, Mm. just, just the fact that the DNA didn't match. I don't know what, how much farther I have to go, Shar. I mean, I know. That well, it didn't match. Forensic science. Yes, but I think some people have dug in their heels and they wanted to go a certain way. And uh, I wish that um, you know all this takes uh, money and backing to to really yeah. get to this. But the story isn't over and. Uh, I have a feeling that maybe somebody will want to get into this again. And I know that you have some things coming up and uh, it's because there's no conclusions at the end of the, um, it's like a cliffhanger. Well, it's to me, it's the, great, it's the great American mystery, a true crime mystery. Exactly. There's certainly nothing else close. Maybe, maybe the, uh, who was the uh, mob boss in Chicago that they still don't know what happened to him. Maybe, oh, maybe Lord. he's the, uh, yeah, the mystery, but, uh, yeah, he's under the you, you, first base and, uh, Red Sox. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Something like that. Oh but, man. Um, this you know, is you, a biggie to me. Well, you've interviewed people that are in prison awaiting execution that were there because of yeah. a DNA test, right? Well, the horrible thing is, is about this is that they're going back now, uh, and for people that kept ple- pleading they're innocent, 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 they're finding out some people are innocent. The DNA was wrong. So how in the hell are they going to pay people back? Because we sit on death row 20 years, at least, it seems like. How in the hell are you going to pay that person back for that whole time? And it's turning out they, they, they work there, you know. And on the other hand, you know, we do have people, of course, the DNA. You know, the DNA to me, this is what DNA meant when we first started hearing about DNA. It meant I thought it was God's truth. The DNA is probably the last truth we have. Do you know what I'm saying? If you really want to know the truth, unless somebody messes up, you know, 
Well, I can I can tell you this. My father's and mine um, that they took, the samples they took from us and then analyzed and compared, ours were exactly correct, a complete yes. match. So there was no mistake there. There's no mistake. If you really got the real stuff, because me and my son did our DNA with uh, – uh, a couple of the two different kinds, and uh, it was I I was uh, stunned, you know, with uh, some the uh, some of mine, but I actually was who I always thought I was, you know, which is really weird that because uh, I wonder my one of my sisters said something once I said you might be that but I'm not you know that's what I told her because she said she was Dutch or something I said I'm not Dutch. It turns out I'm not Dutch. I don't know. She might be. But anyway, but I found out that I'm, um, you know, my mother's Greek, but she passed away. I wanted her to do her DNA, but I'm Greek on my mother's side, but I'm also Balkan with some roots in Romania. I always thought like I was a gypsy, and I'm Scotch-Irish on my dad's side. Very much so, Scotch-Irish on my dad's side, so... When I saw my DNA, I had the insight into the past of all, all the DNA that led up to us. You know, and it's pretty fantastic. There's some kind of beautiful energy to it, you know. So what, what's happened in your family is, listen, we all have a black sheep in our family. You're, you have a very black sheep in your family. <laughs> Oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> one of the blackest, you know. But I, no, I don't know if it gets any darker. No, <laughs> that's what I mean. I don't no. think it's. I found somebody in our family tree that I quick shut it up. You know, I almost send it to my son, but it was one of my relatives. And man, this is so funny. So I hope no relative is listening right now. But anyway, so he's on the Scottish side, and he had about fifteen kids, right? But he was notorious for wearing his wife's clothes. So I shut it real quick. <laughs> I almost sent it to my son, yeah. but I yeah. thought, you know, we all we have to have sort of a uh, in Holmes's case a grim sense of humor. You know what I mean? And I think that's why we did it today because it's a dysfunctional family Christmas. You know what I mean? And uh, you have been such a gentleman. I mean, your life has shown uh, that you do good and, and you continue to do good. You have such a a calming, sweet, and gentle, and I, I love uh, your class. You show a lot of class, and I, I love to well, see that you. in a person. People are rapidly losing the class. Did you notice that? It's like a classless issue going on. Uh, you know, I think, I think it's there underneath the surface. We just need to let them know that when they do show it, Char, that we appreciate it. I don't know if there's enough appreciation right now in society. And so that's when I, when I see something, that, that I, you know what I saw the other day, did you see that news account of the fella that, uh, gave CPR on the airliner to the person he knew had COVID-19? That is such a hero to me. That's such yeah, a, that's hero. a hero, and he that's saved her life, and that's that's a hero. And you know what? We need to give him appreciation. But um, the things um, uh, I got to tell you that I don't think this is a bad interview on Christmas. I like to tell my father. I say, I hey, like Dad, it. you served you served on the in the Navy for thirty five years. I we never committed a crime. We never got arrested for jaywalking. It's amazing. Let let, let history. Take our lives, grandfather's, my grandfather's life, he was a boss at Pacific Gas and Electric, never committed a crime, and let them see that despite 
this thing which caused us to be here on earth, okay? There's no getting around yeah. that. He is why I'm here talking with you today, that evil yes, thing. Yes, yes. It had nothing yeah. to do with the choices we made as human beings. And and we all right. need to understand that. It's that, that thing about, oh, you know, he, he was an ancestor. It, it, no, no, we made choices. And But I got to tell you, there's. Uh, I heard something the other day I want to share with your, your listeners and you. One of the movies that's coming out about Holmes, probably, I don't know if it'll be finished in 2021, maybe 2022. They take a long time now. But they mm-hmm. bought my idea that Holmes wrote the Dear Boss letter and murdered Catherine Eddowes in London, the, the, the number three of the Ripper Five. Yes. And they're going to include that in their movie. So I think that part of the story is going to get broken wide open, Char, and maybe I can come back Extreme. on your show when I see oh, the script I love and it. I can explain how they're going to portray it up on the big screen. Oh, I, I would love it, and I know my, my listeners would, and – uh, I got chills when you mentioned that boss letter because that is a, the the one it's that true. scared me it's the worst. True. It's a it's a really? real it's a real excuse me it's a real letter from that real Jack the Ripper. It's substantiated, and that's the letter that scared me the worst. You know when you first see, and you can tell by the way he writes how heavy he leaned on that. Oh, you can look ink. at it. You can look. It's at it. full and of you know ink, what, uh, and it's, Char, it's full of it. And you're you're involved in forensic science. We yes. used the software program from the Cedar Fo- the Cedar Fox software program from the Cedar Company at University of Buffalo that the FBI in Scotland Yard uses to put people in prison, and that came back ninety-seven percent. I don't know that's, what more people. That's want. for sure. That is a yeah. match. Yeah. It's a match because uh, you, if we're we not put even two of your letters in there, Char, and we had yes. them analyze and compare. Sorry to interrupt you. If we put two no, of your letters in that software program and we had them compare two of your letters, we couldn't have come up with ninety-seven percent. No, that's, that's what I'm saying. I know because I I did one of my early endeavors. I think I was only 16 is when I started studying Henry analysis. So if it was another life, uh, I think I would have been into all this. I have a forensic counseling degree, but what I'm saying is I would have done this instead of what I ended up doing. I'm glad I did what I did because, you know, you have to do your, your good things for the world. You know, but I would sure. have loved to get into this stuff, you know, if I really went with my heart. I would have just said I wouldn't have tried stopped trying to get married because I was one of those marrying crazy people. You know, you have to get married all the time. My mother told well, me you, you know, got to get married, so I did. You know, Char, <laughs> I'm gonna be I'm gonna be 64 years old, but I have a chance this year. I think 2021 is my year. I have a chance this year for the world to acknowledge. That I solved Jack the Ripper, the greatest true crime mystery ever. Oh my ever. God! And you know what? And you know what? That's Woo-hoo! kind of a big. That's a big deal. I'm going to be quite proud it's of that. It's a big deal. And it's going to be hard for the world because you know how people are. That once they have a bias and a self-interest, it's very hard yes. to get them to change their mind, even with evidence like DNA and things like that. But I think we're getting so close now, and I think I've got the FBI helping me on this now. That we're going to 
get the world to acknowledge that Holmes wrote Dear Boss and he murdered Catherine Eddowes. And I think that's uh, that's something that I can be proud of the rest of my life. So uh, I'm looking I forward to 2021. Extreme. It has to be better than 2020, right? Well, uh, yes, because 2020 – as far as a year goes, was one of the worst on record. I don't know. It's, oh it's been bad. It's been bad, and and we do uh, we do wish uh, for a better time ahead for all of us, everybody. So keep each other in our prayers. And 2021 is going to be fabulous, and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the solution to all this, and you're going to have the answers to all this. Mystery Jeff, it's um, you, you've been an incredible guest, and you're just a decent human being. And um, I love following you on Facebook. And uh, you know, you can really tell about your true character. You know what a good, good man of character you are. And uh, I appreciate you. I appreciate your family. You know, God bless you. You know, and we're gonna see the year ahead is a better one, right? Sure. On Christmas Day, what you just said is probably the the greatest compliment and description of something I can feel proud of the rest of my life that I've ever heard. So thank you very much, and Merry Christmas. Oh, my goodness. Merry Christmas. Love you, Jeff. Take care of yourself. Love you, too. And I I want to see your comments. When I put a post up on Facebook, I want you to jump in with your comments, okay? (laughs) Okay, I will, because, you know, I get kind of shy, but I won't. I'll stop. No, I want to hear you. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Thank you, Jeff. God bless you and yours, and Merry, Merry Christmas, and Happy New Year to come, okay? Good night, Char. Good night. Good night, everybody. Take care. Bye. Good night, everybody. Okay, bye-bye. So this has been an incredible night with Jeff Mudgett, believe it or not, H.H. Holmes, great-great-grandson, and but he is a great-great person, and I love him, and he's a good man, and uh, God bless him and everybody else. So this has been a great Christmas, I have to say, spending it with you, and I uh, love you very much. Go get Jeff Mudgett's book, Bloodstains. I know it's still available on Amazon. Uh, just go get it, and I know that it's on Kindle, and I appreciate you all very, very much. So God bless you. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Love you all. Thank you to all your listening who've listened to me all year. You're just listening. You're so good, and I thank you because you've made me in the top ten podcasts to listen to on the planet. I got on the list. Can you believe it? And today was, um, oh, I think it's the 450th show, I think. But anyway, I want to say I love you. God bless you. And I right now, now I have Jason Jewlett has his new book out. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play this. And I want you to listen real carefully. Go get Jason Jewlett's book. He's a really cool researcher. So here you go. From Paranormal Investigators, Peter Wren and Jason Hewlett, get your copy of the new book, I Want to Believe, One Man's Journey into the Paranormal Today, from Amazon.com, Amazon.ca, and Barnes & Noble. With a foreword by Arrow and the Head founder and actor-writer-director John Fallon comes this collection of the most frightening cases Peter has encountered during his 27 years as an investigator. Peter has traveled all over the world to investigate every kind of alleged haunting imaginable. He and his fellow investigators have hunted for spirits in historic castles and prisons, family homes, hotels, and even maritime museums. 
The stories in I Want to Believe, One Man's Journey into the Paranormal, include psychic encounters at a community theater, confrontations with shadow beings, and other negative spirits, and even a case of possible demonic possession. Now available from Beyond the Fray Publishing, I Want to Believe, One Man's Journey into the Paranormal, by Jason Hewlett and Peter Wren. You can find it today at Amazon.com, Amazon.ca, and Barnes & Noble. Thank you, Jason. I really appreciate it. So now here comes my other friend, Ray Cordell. He's from Scotland. He has his new album out, and this is from One Life. And I love this guy, Ray Cordell. He has so many gorgeous pictures he does of, of Scotland. And also he takes us like on little travels with him. And uh, if you want to check him out, Ray Cordell, and uh, he lives in Scotland. And this is one of his songs that I really love, One Life. So this is a great song to listen to right now. One Life. I'm allergic, but I just can't let you go. Because the feelings that I have for you are planted. From the moment that I saw your beauty shining I just knew that you're the one, the one I love You're the stars, the moon and all that lives around me But you're gone and my heart will never feel the same So I wrote this song, I hope you think about me but where are you now? Can't you feel my pain? But hold on. I just need to live my life goes on. I have beauty around me. And now I finally found it. That's just one life I knew really needs to take it. But please don't fake it. I'll make it last and take it. I can feel your touch 
this is Ray Cordell and I'd like to invite you to check out my new album, The Long Road, which is out on Friday the 20th of November 2020. Now it's a compilation album, a best of if you like, and it features 18 original tracks written by myself over the years. So if you'd like a copy, it's out everywhere from that date on iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, YouTube Music, Spotify, everywhere. Or there's also a limited number of CDs available. If you'd like a CD, a signed CD maybe, you can message me via Ray Cordell Music on Facebook or via this page. So get in contact and I hope you enjoy it. In the meantime, keep on rocking. Cheers. So thank you, Ray. Thank you, Jason. And thank you so much for to our guest tonight, Jeff Mudgett. And God bless you all and take care. And I wish you much good health and prosperity in the new years to come. So I'll see you next week. We have yet another guest on the Paranormal and the Sacred with Shara McCain. Love you guys. Bye. Love you. Bye-bye. <laughs>